0: You know, there's a lot of secular advice for singles, right? Uh, really good advice out there. Being sarcastic, you picked that up. Here's, here's, here's one. Uh, some, some psychologist trying to help me in my singleness. Immerse yourself in meaningful activity. So oh, thank you very much. Uh, recognize that not all of your thoughts are facts. Okay, um, I got that. Don't wait to be in a relationship to pursue your goals. Okay, that's going to make me feel really good, right? Um, Use your past to inform your future. Okay, well, um, what happened in the past may not have been really good, so I want to take those lessons learned and repeat them again in another relationship. I like the last one: Uh, date yourself. (laughs) I'm serious. Many people get hung up and not getting flowers. dinners, candy, jewelry, spa trips. Well, I think I'm going to go and wrap a present and give it to myself. That'll make me feel really good. You know, I understand these feelings of being single. I, I felt them before I met my wife, 45, 46 years ago, and I feel them now as my wife left me last year and was called home to be with the Lord. Um, uh, but could it be that the answer to loneliness and being single is is really outside of ourselves? Uh, The key to all of contentment and being single lies on an eternal focus of loving our Lord Jesus Christ first and seeking what's best for the glory of God, whether you're married or you're single, and that's why you're all here today. Uh, Quite possibly the answer to my singleness is found in a passage of Scripture that we'll be covering today. You know, and personally speaking, and just to be totally honest with you and just to kind of open myself up to you, I, I'm trying to figure things out now, you know, that Patty is gone. You know, how, how do I live? So, so these are really important questions for me, and I, and I haven't really decided. The future is really foggy for me, right? Because I'm older, but, um, you know, uh, the insurance company says that I have until 74, and then I'm going to croak. <laughs> so that's eight years. So, if, you know, according to the insurance company, I have at least eight years left. So what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And it's interesting. I've read some books on singles. And you know what's amazing? Um, Even John Piper will do these, you know, entire messages on singleness. And guess what passage um, most of them ignore? They brush over. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 25 to 40, which is basically the largest chunk of Scripture in the Bible that talks about singleness. And that's what we're going to look at today. And and as a side note, uh, uh, this discussion pertains to all of us, because you marry couples, there's going to come a day when you are going to be single again, unless the Lord takes both of you home together at the same time. So, so these, are, these are important things. And also, if you're counseling singles, to, to steer them in the right way and not force them down a tra- track of marriage or singleness when they may or may not have that gift. And that's what Paul is really going to be um, really dealing with us today. I'm just going to get right to the cut to the chase and the main thought because I think it's really important that we do that. That being married or remaining single isn't pure, is purely a vocational choice based on your giftedness as to whether or not God has gifted you to be married or, or single. Uh, singles, uh, married, you, you don't have this choice right now, but, but singles have the freedom and the capacity that married people do not necessarily possess. They have a lot of freedoms. They, they have a lot of options, right? And, and within marriage, there are anxieties and concerns that are foreign to a single person. Uh, Single adults have tremendous freedom allowing for spiritual devotion to the Lord without as many distractions, but all of us should be devoted to the Lord regardless of whether or not we're single or married. And, And without as many distractions, the single has really an advantage sometimes in times of life, struggles, persecution, and trouble. But what Paul is trying to demonstrate from what was said last week, um, and what Dave covered last week and this week, that that that, that singleness and marriage, it, it's it's really equal. It, it, there's 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 an advantage maybe practically speaking to someone being single, but that doesn't mean that singleness is up here and marriage is down here. I don't think the Word of God basically wants us to to elevate singleness or elevate marriage, but. But Paul, through the control of the Holy Spirit, wants us to understand that that, that they're a level plane. And we just need to be discerning as to what we choose for our lives. And and I think we get into trouble when we try to impose, um, get really excited about, whoa, single life is the greatest. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to to, to really twist the scripture, if you will, to basically elevate elevate singleness and and push down marriage. And, And the word really doesn't do that. And we'll see that today. Uh, the 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 main verse in all of this is is really verses thirty two through thirty four, and we'll read that shortly. But 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 Paul is writing this; he's writing it to those who still have a choice, to to virgins, to people that have been divorced, to those who have lost, lost their Their mate through death. And he says, I I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about the affairs of the world, how to please his wife. And so that's really the thrust of this passage, but we have to take the whole counsel of God into consideration. Uh, Just to be reminded, uh, Paul wrote this on the second missionary uh, journey. Uh, and, and so that's when it was written. Um, it was right around A.D. 54, 55, early spring in either of those years. MacArthur, this epistle was most likely written in the first half of A.D. 55 from Ephesus while Paul was on his third missionary journey. MacArthur says, I have the second. It's the third missionary journey. And the apostle intended to remain on at Ephesus to complete his three-year stay until Pentecost. The going back, even taking one further step away from from our text in chapter seven, we we basically say that the the key verse in this whole chapter, this whole book, is I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. And and, and the theme, uh, the theme, or the book's thrust and. In Corinthians, it could have been very possible that believers in Corinth didn't have clarity on a number of of issues, right? So they wrote this letter, right, to to Paul. We we need clarity on all of these things. And Paul writes back. Um, And basically, what Paul is really saying in in this entire book is that uh, doctrinal unity is, is clearly based on Christ and the Word. Uh, the negative is, is that a weak commitment to doctrine will weaken a local body of believers destroying Christian unity. And that's exactly what's occurring in the Corinthian church. Uh, the outline uh, really begs to, you know, don't you wish you had that letter that the, the Corinthians had had, had basically uh, wrote to Paul? And then, and then we could have that letter, we could have the, the question and the answer, but... We have the answers right here, and we can actually pretty much determine what those questions were as we go through uh, the book. You know, disunity, immorality, um, the question of vocation, uh, liberty, worship, um, resurrection, hope. And I I think that that we need to understand uh, two immediate applications. First of all, never name your church, the first church of Corinth, right? I've seen it before. And and then we need to understand that um, uh, Corinth is a very, very wicked society. It it might be equivalent to some of the the places that we know in the United States. Uh, The verb to Corinthianize or Corinthianize in, in the Greek language meant to commit sexual sin, so you get a little idea of what Corinth was like. It was rotten. It was wretched. Uh, it was a vile place. And these people are being born into Christianity and they're standing out. But then how do I, how do I act in the midst of this, this carnality and all this, this, this wickedness? We're going to get into the outline. And we're going to first of all talk about defining your giftedness. But let's go ahead and read the text this morning. So we're going to start in verse 25 of chapter 7 and then we're going to read through the end of the chapter. I think, I consider well we'll start with verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord um, but I Give an opinion as one whom by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that it is good in view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Uh, Are you bound to a wife? Uh, Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life. And I am trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And so his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Don't you see that parlay between man and woman? So Paul is going back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth, and he's comparing um, from the woman's perspective and the man's perspective. Verse 35, this I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his grown-up virgin daughter, we'll talk about that because some of your translations talk about um, engagement. But if any man, a father, thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his grown-up virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her go ahead and get married. But he, father, who st- stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will. And he has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter. He will do well. Uh, So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well. And he who does not give her in marriage will do better. Verse 39. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. Uh, But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Uh, But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. You know, look at some of the key words in here. We've already talked about. We have virgin, we have um, an unmarried person, which could either be someone who's divorced or they've lost their spouse in death. Look over some of the other words in here. If you go back, just, just kind of taking a highlight, just think of that. Present distress. Um, if you marry, you have not sinned. He repeats that a number of times. She has not sinned, uh, yet they will have trouble in this life as a married couple has. Look at the word opinion, Paul is opinion. Is he just kind of winging it when he writes this? Or is the Apostle Paul being inspired by the Holy Spirit when he writes this? And then look at verse 32. Concern. I want you to be free from concern. Look at verse 34. The virgin is concerned about that. And look at verse later on in verse 34. Who is married is concerned about the things of the world. And and he goes on and talks about the fact that these things have been written so that you won't be concerned. You know, this is a very, very personal text. Uh, it, it has the traction and clarity that we all need, whether we're married or single. Uh, let's look at the back at the beginning. Uh, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. Actually, Genesis 2. This is really important. Now, I could have put the verses on the PowerPoint slides, but I think it's really important for us to to flip through, to really make sure that we're wearing out our Bibles. And when you're sitting down and discipling, you have, okay, Genesis 2. We turn there. It's really important. In verse 18, uh, then God said, the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone, and I will make him a helper as his partner. So, So Eve was created, right? From the, the side of man. But isn't it interesting with that, that, that God says, it's not good that he should be alone, I will make him a helper as his partner. And that's the focus, partnership. You know, in verse 26 of, of chapter one, God says, Let us make humankind in our image, the personhood of God. Let's 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 make man who's completely separate from any, everything else that he's created. He said, Let's make someone in our likeness, the Trinity calls out, right? And so we have these, the, the personhood, the, we are created in God's image. And, and that precedes partnership, which precedes procreation. And, and what's interesting about, and what's cool and glorious about Trinitarian doctrine, it emphasizes the divine intimacy existing among the persons of the Trinity before creation. You know, um, God didn't create man because he was lonely, Um, unlike many of the Christian songs we sang in the 70s. You know, God self-sustaining, and there's this incredible intimate relationship among the persons of the Trinity, and then God creates man, and 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 just a a, a taste of of what that's like is seen when, when God creates man and woman, and they, and they function and they're there for each other. I think that's just amazing. You know, the only person lonely in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 was Adam. God said, It was good, it was good, it was good, as it was good, as it was good, but not good, what? Was that Adam was alone and he didn't have a partner. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives as. Christ loves the church. Isn't it interesting that God gave us marriage? He gave us partnership with another human being. We could enjoy that. And it's a reflection of what goes on in the Trinity. And then we have Ephesians, a, a really a type or a metaphor, an illustration of, of the relationship between Christ and his church. Marriage is a wonderful grace given to us by God, but we need to be careful in entering into this covenant relationship with one another, don't we? Those of you who are married, you understand what I'm talking about, right? Uh, Believers need to be cautious and careful upon entering this sacred relationship. You know, the disciples got it, right? If you write down Matthew 19, 9 through 12, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for in chastity and marries another commits adultery... But his disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better, what? Not to marry. They understood the the incredible responsibility of a man and a wife when they consummated in marriage. Now we're back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But I think it's really important for us to understand those notes in the Old Testament uh, those, those really, those peaks, because we're bringing that now to Corinthians chapter 7. And it, and it brings us to defining your giftedness, defining your giftedness. Look at verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 7, 7 and 8. I, I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God. One in this manner, and another in that. Do you realize, uh, Paul is calling um, really singleness and marriage a gift? And I said spiritual gift, but but understand. And MacArthur brings this out in his in his commentary that this is the only spiritual gift that we have an option. Right? Uh, we know that in Romans 12, 3, and ten that. We have everything according to our measure and faith that God has assigned. And we each have a spiritual gift that we're commanded to exercise in the church. But um, it says right here that, that, that marriage or singleness is a gift from God. And, 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 and chapter 7 is saying, choose one or the other. And, and, and so that's what Paul continues to develop in, in this passage. There's, there's a real big problem right now though, in this Corinthian church. We talked about um, all of the debauchery in the city of Corinth. Do you realize that marriage wasn't like it is here, where, you know, ring exchange, walk down the hall, pastor, legal. It wasn't like that, and I know that was brought out in previous lessons, but you had prearranged marriages where a dad would determine whether or not who his daughter was going to marry, or if her daughter was ever going to marry. That's the last verses in in even this chapter 7 but then we had married slaves a majority of first century church could have been slaves and, and and marriage in the strictest sense did not even exist for slaves they were like animals and masters mated their slaves they treated them like cattle you two go into that tent you two go in that tent and 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 that was that was that was marriage no ceremonies, just cohabiting. So think about that. If most of the church are slaves, uh, and they, I bet that letter to Paul was, wow, how do, we, how do we get through this? Do we remain with this person that we've cohabited with, or do we walk away from it? What, what's sinful? What's pure? And to add to that, we had common law marriages in Corinth. You could live with someone if you lived with them for more than a year then you were married. So guess what happened? Probably eleven months into the relationship. Hey, let's let's basically split up now and let's let's find someone else. Uh, there was a, a document that that reflected. Barclay brings us out that this one one lady had had been married twenty three times, twenty three times, because of this this looseness, if you will. Uh, fathers like today in Asia and other third world countries fathers who the families need the money they sell their their daughters into prostitution when well, in Corinth, daughter of families that needed money could sell their their female um, daughters into marriage to get money back to basically help with with their their income and then of course you had the formal weddings of the rich and famous right well, interestingly enough, the, the Catholic Church adopted a lot of those traditions, a ring, a walking down the aisle, a cake, um, holding the right hand. All of those things were from a pagan type of ritualistic marriage that the Roman Catholic Church adopted and that we, uh, after the Reformation, have continued until today. So, so those of you who want to get rid of Christmas trees because they're pagan, you do the math. I don't want to get in trouble. But, but, but first of all, define your giftedness, okay? It is really what Paul is saying. And he, he gives us that, that uh, option. And then uh, discern the advantages. And that takes us through verse 31. And We've already read it. Uh, but the, the basic principle is that Paul is, is basically saying continue in your present position whether you're married or um, whether... You're single. And now you can see why he keeps on foot stomping, keep your present position to the married folks, because a lot of them are questioning, wow, what do I do? Then he says in verse 25, now concerning virgins. Just a, a textual recess right here. Every time you see now concerning, now concerning, now concerning, now concerning, Paul is going to another question that he's answering. So you see that in 7.1. You see it in 7.25, now concerning those things sacrificed to animals. You see it in 8.1, now concerning, you know, spiritual gifts, 12.1, 16.1, and 16.12. And it signals a response to this letter that had been previously mailed to Paul, referenced in chapter 7, verse 1. But he says, I have no command of the Lord. What does he mean by that? I mean, uh, does that mean that he's just, we can just basically, well, I'm just going to figure this out, and we're just going to go ahead and and make a decision. No, Christ hadn't addressed this before. So Paul couldn't frame a judgment partly based on Christ's teaching. So he's going to take it one step further. Uh, Christ did teach on marriage. But, but, but not to the, uh, the, the granularity that, that it needs to be taught to the Corinthian church. So we should be thankful in part that the Corinthians had these problems because now these problems allow us to see how, how, how biblical principles from the Old Testament and what Paul is going to tell us fit into how we behave towards each other as a married couple or as a single couple. So Paul talks about virgins, uh, and then he talks about no command. You know, Jesus had never specifically addressed the the, the, the marriage per se, uh, and so all of those people back then that had their King James Red Letter Edition Bibles, um, they would look at all the le- red letters, the words of Jesus, and 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 and. They wouldn't have answers, but Paul, through the control of the Holy Spirit, is going to fill that in. I was being sarcastic about the King James Version Bible. But Paul gave his judgment on the issue which they could take as trustworthy counsel. This is what was in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, an incredible uh, commentary was written by a number of faculty from Dallas Theological Seminary back in the 80s. He, of course, was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and hence his judgment was authoritative as Christ's words. So we need to discern the advantages. There's really two things, three things, actually. Um, The appending time of distress that the Christians are in uh, an impending distress of being married in a fallen world, and then the shortness of time. Those are really the three things that we're going to see in this section. You know, Paul says, I think then. I, I think therefore. He, it doesn't mean that he's not for sure. He, he's forming an idea. He, this is decided conviction. It's not like, well, I think I'm going to go to Minnie's today for lunch. But maybe not. No, it's not that. It's, it's a sound axiom to start with, a good principle, that in, in view of the present distress, well, that word can be translated in the secular documents of the day, violence. Isn't that incredible? Violence. So, so it's a dis- state of distress, of trouble, calamity, pressure. Persecution is beginning, right, for believers, it's going to peak 13, 15 years later with, with, with Nero's persecution. Certainly the Jews, uh, the first major persecution in the Jewish community was led by Paul himself or Saul at that time. So the, in light of all the persecution, Paul is saying, you know, if you're single right now, you might want to stay single because things are, are going to get worse. They're going to get a lot worse. The Corinthian church sees its first martyr 15 years later from Nero's, Nero's first wave. So an impending time of distress and then being married in a, a fallen world, the distress of just being married. I, frankly, guys, I know that I'm a perfect husband and Patty didn't have to really deal with an imperfect husband. I'm being sarcastic again. But 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 marriage is, is a hard thing. You know, I do a lot of wedding counseling. And I know, I know, without a doubt, when the couple is sitting across from me and I say, you know, it's, you know, the marriage is, you're coming together, two two sinful individuals. I know inside they're saying, yeah, that may be true, but I'm marrying someone who's perfect, right? And that's not the case. That's definitely not the case. You know, marriage is the the bringing together of two very, very selfish people, and it's gonna it's gonna be this pressing grape type of thing that we're seeing in that word, and it's gonna it's hard. And, and then and then that couple decides to have babies, and and then you have all these little people running around that make it even worse. <laughs> Mercy. <laughs> An impending distress of being married in a fallen world. And I think that's what the disciples basically were addressing. Um, uh, there's a present distress in marriage. And, and, and you, you get it. And that's why Paul goes on to say that it is good for a man to remain as he is, callous. And I think basically he's just giving them advice. He's not telling them not to get married. He's just saying, you need to know what you're getting yourself into. But, but, but if both couples are in Christ, wow, uh, and, and so I'm going to go on the good side now and say that when Christ is working in our lives individually, right, and, and we're being conformed more and more to the image of Christ, man, that relationship, and the wife is doing the same, it's just incredible. It, it's, it's as close to heaven as you can get on earth, but it's still hard, Right? There's other things, there's health, there's cancer. We even saw that in the prayer request today. Uh, Patty had cancer for seven years. That added a pressure on, on, on our relationship. And, and God used it and it was what a privilege it was to serve her, but still, it's, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. Verse 27, are you bound to a wife um, by law or duty or, or that arrangement that was made? By your owner uh, don't seek to be released and, and that's basically uh, what what paul is saying right here he's not advocating one vocation over another your vocation married or singleness is your choice but the decision should be made with really two governing principles is the fact of this present crisis and the fact that you know marriage is 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 hard you need to be ready you know, I ask a lot of married couples in, in marriage counseling, I, I'll, I'll look at the, um, the female or the, the lady and I'll say, how is your boyfriend pointing you towards Christ? Do you realize? And then I look at him and I say, do you realize you are in charge of her? You are preparing her for eternity. You know, So how are you doing that right now in your dating relationship? And then I get a blank stare. Not all the time. Uh, many of the couples that that um, that I've done counseling for, especially from the 120, they get it. They understand that. But I'm just making a point that it's really important for us to understand that if the man is not going to assume that spiritual responsibility, it's going to make things even that much more difficult in a marriage relationship. Well, we talked about distress. We talked about being married in a fallen world and the distress associated with that. But there's a third thing, the imminent return of Christ. So Christ is coming soon. He, he, it says, but this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened. Uh, kairos, uh, uh, the time, the season, uh, it's been shortened. It's been brought together. And, and, and we need to be cognizant of that. It's, it's less extended. It's limited. It's shortened. And that was 2,000 years ago. But not just uh, eschatologically, but life is shortened, right? Um, Because life is short. (laughs) You know, 30 years is short compared to eternity. And so if we bring anything into our life and we can't handle it and it becomes a distraction, it takes us away from our devotion to the Lord, then we're not preparing ourselves for eternity, are we? And, and, and as a side note, we need to make sure the person we are dating, man, woman, that, 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 that both the husband and the wife or the future husband and the wife love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart and their soul and their mind. And that is such an important criteria, right? Because, because you both together are going to glorify God in your marriage. And because the time is short, one of you will be taken home eventually and just think of the testimony you're gonna have on this earth as you proclaim God's glory in your relationship. But it's short. And if you can glorify God better as a single, then stay single. And if you can glorify God more as a couple, then get married. Is really the, the principle that's coming out of this chapter. But discern the advantages. Discern the advantages. The Lord's coming, and our time on this earth isn't very, very long. This is what um, MacArthur Piper says about marriage. Marriage and family are temporary for this age. The church is forever, right? Uh, Being in a human family is no sign of eternal blessing, but being in God's family means being eternally blessed. Uh, For those of you who know Mormons or LDS friends, they believe that marriage is going to continue on into heaven. Apparently, they have not read the Bible. Relationships based on family are temporary. They're wonderful. They glorify God. It's a common grace. We just read that in Genesis chapter one 1:2, partner, right? But yet, they're temporary. Relationships based on union with Christ are eternal. Marriage is a temporary institution, but what it stands for lasts forever. Christ and the church. And the intimacy that exists between a couple is, is, a, is just a taste of what God experiences with himself, three persons, one God. Well, in verse 32, we go on, desire what's best. Don't you like to fill in the blanks? That's the first time I've done that. You know, Patty never wanted me to do fill in the blanks. And so, sorry, honey, I just tried to do it. So, so we're going to do fill in the blanks. Maybe I won't do it anymore. But desire what's best. You know, uh, undistracted service for Christ is good. You know, being free of concern or the trouble of managing a wife-husband household is, is, may take you away from something that God has you reserved for. Oh, by the way, another commercial break. Just think about a single who who has a family member like a mom or a dad or an aunt who needs more care. So their, their singleness might allow them to be ministering even within their own family because of the situation they happen to be in. So they have a concern, a care. God never tells us to abandon our family, but he does tell us to make Jesus Christ number one in our lives. Right, and, and if we do, then all the other things kind of work out, don't they? I mean, I, I felt that experientially and seen it experientially in my own relationship. But desire was best. You know, Philippians 2.20, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned. This is Paul, or not Paul, but yeah, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So, so it doesn't mean that you're not going to be concerned for family members. It means that your concern is shifting maybe primarily from your center of gravity of your family to the, to the, the church. And, and what Paul is saying is I want you to be concerned about the matters of the church. I don't want a single man to sit in his room playing computer games till 2 in the morning and, and divesting himself and remaining single because of his selfishness. Paul is saying either you are serving in the church and doing what you've been gifted to do, or marry the woman, and together as a couple you glorify God. And that's the balance that that needs to be underscored. Another quote from the Bible Knowledge Dictionary. The situation illustrates Paul's point that the single life with its greater simplicity and obligations allows a potentially greater commitment of time, resources, and self to the Lord that would be possible for a married person dutifully carrying out the marital and familial obligations attached to that state. So desire what's best. And, and it begins at verse 32 and goes through 34, and we've, we've really kind of covered that. I'm going to go to the next one. You know, verse 33 describes the things of the world. In verse, the woman who's unmarried and a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord. Uh, but one female who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Uh, the single person has potentially fewer encumbrances and distractions from the married person. You know, even the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned his followers against letting concern for material aspects of this life distract them. So for you married folks, uh, you still need to be applying this. And are you distracted? Are you anxious? Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Uh, Verse 27, chapter 6, Matthew. And can any of you, by worrying at one single hour, Therefore, do not worry saying what we're going to eat and what we're going to drink. Certainly, the concern is, is intensified if you're providing for your family, right? And that's a legitimate concern. And so Paul is saying, you know, your, your worrying is going to be much more if you're worrying about more than yourself, your wife, your family, your income, your job, insurance, future. And all those things are important. And, and those interests, those divided interests aren't wrong. We are basically obligated to care for our family. Well, we've looked at define your giftedness, discern the advantages, desire what's best, um, decide and act. Decide and act. So Paul kind of includes two more things on the tail end of this, but I'm glad we have that granularity in there because then he's basically you know, the, the, the ship is not keeling to one side or the other, but it's staying nice and nice and even. He, he gives advice to a father who is a first century decision maker. And the culture has given him the opportunity that he has this little baby that's just been born. And he says, you know what? I'm going to devote you to the Lord, and I don't want you to get married. He makes a vow at a, at, when this, this little girl is, is, is young. And then he puts a restraint on her. And and so one of the questions would be, hey, there are some fathers in the Corinthian church that basically vowed their their daughters to remain virgin, and yet their daughters are growing up, and they don't want to be virgins. And, And they're not going to glorify God because they're tempted in that sexual arena. So Paul says in verse 36, but if any man or any father thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his grown-up virgin daughter, let him do what he wishes. He's freed. He can let her loose to get married. Or he can keep that commitment. commitment. You know, maybe his conscience is telling him that he needs to really be careful. Now, I just want to... Some of you have NIV translations. I know you're not going to tell us you have an NIV translation. (laughs) It's not just NIV either. But they, they basically um, translate, this is RSV, but um, look at that. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his fiancée. So <laughs> some of the commentaries got, got really hung up on the word. They should have. They just should have looked at the Greek word because there are two Greek words used in the same context in other passages of Scripture one means giving in marriage and one means getting married. And, and so um, they, they basically have the situation where, well, okay, uh, we're in the middle of engagement and, and do we continue to? This person's not a believer, should we break up? The only problem with that is in Jewish culture especially, if you were engaged, that was just like being what? Married. And, and, and so it really doesn't really fit in very well. Um, there's, for those of you, you Greek- students. Um, gamizo uh, means to give in marriage, and that's the verb that's used in this passage. And, and gameto means simply to marry or marry. But, and, and they're used interchangeably, even text, to denote giving in marriage and marriage. And, and, and so, there's that granularity in this passage that because that verb has been chosen, gamizo, to give in marriage, that has to be a dad and not someone who's engaged. Does that make sense? Anyway, I just wanted you to know both of those areas so that, because some of the Bibles, you, you might have a translation that says, well, wait, Chaz, you, this is fiance, this is not the dad. But the father who stands firm in his heart is under no constraint. So, so what Paul is doing is giving a dad a get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, you made that vow, don't, you're not sinning, um, she's come of age, and, and this daughter wants to be married. Isn't it interesting, if Paul was favoring singleness over marriage, what would he do at this point? You know, keep the vow, you know, and don't let her get married. But he loses the whole thing and says, it's really up to you, but before you get married, make sure you, you, you take into consideration all the things that we've talked about in chapter seven. But there's one more caveat that Paul says. What is that at the end? What does he say? Can she just go out and marry anyone? It's not a trick question. What does verse 39 say? She is free to be married to whom she wishes. What's the next phrase? What does that mean? She has to marry a believer. And I'm not talking about one who says, yeah, um, Susie, I'm, I'm I'm a believer because I wanna date you and I wanna marry you. No, it, you, we really do need to understand that, that, that someone who is indeed a believer is gonna behave in such a way that he's gonna glorify God in his behavior. And, and so it's not just someone who says, I'm just bringing it to present tense, that, that, that in a dating situation, if 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 either a woman or a man is not is not pointing you towards the scripture and pointing you to a love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then um, you need to um, not marry that person. Let's go ahead and, and, and finish off. And um, are you single? Devote yourself solely to the Lord and to the believers in your local assembly, right? You know, make use of of, 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 of your, your capability. Devote yourself solely to the Lord and to the church. Pray for clarity in the direction God is leading you. Have others pray for you as you navigate decisions that will impact your future. Don't make rash decisions. If you, all of a sudden you lose a spouse, take the time to understand what you need to do in the future. You know, the grass is not necessarily greener on the other side of the married fence. And married, those of you who are married now, the, the grass is not necessarily greener over the, the single fence, you know? And, and we need to understand the fact that God values both. You know, I think of Pam Wyatt, faithful to the Lord for 50 years. I'm going to be a single forever, right? And then Rocky Sue passes away, and then what? About a year later, knock, knock, knock. On Pam's door, guess who's standing outside to want to marry her? Rocky. And so she was faithful, she was single for, for, for a long period of time, and yet God then brought into her life uh, the, the experience of being married. So, whatever your state is in right now, glorify God in it to the maximum. If you're single right now, enjoy your singleness, but enjoy it investing into the life of those in the church. You know, marriage is temporary. It finally gives way to a relationship to which it was painting all along, Christ and the church. So let's go back to are you married? Um, devote yourself to the Lord. Devote yourself to your spouse. Uh, don't you realize that your marriage is a picture? Um, you get, uh, you have partnership. It's a provision where you provide for each other. It's pleasure. And even the sexual experience in this procreation for you younger couples. And, and and so devote yourself to your spouse and your family. But devote yourself, your whole family, to the singles in your local church. Uh, look for ways to invest back into their lives. You know, don't make them feel like they're, they're, they're an incomplete person because Paul certainly is not doing that here. They're not broken. Oh, well, you know, Joe, you need to... Well, let's have Joe over to dinner tonight and Sue let's have Sue over and let's let's match them up because Joe you're broken you're all laughing no Joe's not broken neither is Sue now it's not it's not wrong to introduce people i mean we have a lot of marriages going on in the 128 group right now but the the point i'm making is is that single is just as productive as a married couple, and what Paul is saying right here, but as far as the investment back to the church, they could be discipling your children. They could be working in, with, for Pastor Justin and mentoring. I mean, wow, wow. Uh, there's a certain flexibility that they, don't, uh, that they wouldn't have if they are married. So take advantage of that. Ask a single to disciple your kids if that single is mature and growing in Christ. And so integrate them in your family. Look for ways to encourage them, especially Christmas, Thanksgiving, Fourth of July, their birthdays, and fold them into your family. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you have uh, defined uh, that giftedness of whether to be uh, single um, or if we're married, to maximize that marriage and continue on, Father, in glorifying you. We, we, we pray that we would discern the advantages, Father, of, of this single road, Father, in the counsel that we give others, uh, and for fathers and mothers, how they counsel their, their da- daughters and sons. I pray that uh, any decisions that would be made would be um, uh, really the best, Father, And that um, the decision and and action, Father, of all of us would be to to understand that we're married to Christ. And and we look forward to that that culmination, even that what Pastor Thomas has been covering in Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and everything that we do within a marriage, even the spiritual relationships that we have within the body of Christ, uh, are all a reflection of what we're going to be doing in eternity um, when we uh, are married to uh, Christ and in heaven and glorifying him. So we just thank you, Father, for this day that you bless us with, and we continue, Father, to look to you for guidance. Thank you for this, this passage of Scripture that really does uh, dot the I's, cross the T's, and, and gives us a further um, understanding of how all of this applies, Father, in light of your entire counsel. And we'll pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.